and welcome back to Rise Podcast, Life Stories of Accomplished Individuals. Today, I have the honor and pleasure of having Brad Lee with me. I've been following Brad for some time now, for a couple of years, watching his growth, learning from him, and I'm going to jump into his into the bio that I, that I created for him. So here we go, guys. So Brad Lee, age 53, spent the first half of his life helping himself. He struggled and felt empty. The last 20 years, he's been helping others, and as a result, has been living with abundance and fulfillment. Brad is a multifaceted entrepreneur, founder of Lightspeed VT, the most advanced interactive training system on earth. He's a speaker, author of the book The Hard Way, and host of, Dro- of the Dropping Bombs podcast. He's been featured in Forbes and in aggregate. Brad's followed by over 3 million people on social media. He brings extensive experience in sales, life, and business, guiding individuals to become better humans. Brad's mission focuses on transferring knowledge from experts to those seeking it. With his company, Lightspeed VT, he's revolutionized online learning. He's a father of seven, a philanthropist, and a business leader known for his straightforward, real-world approach and dedication to personal and professional growth. Brad, welcome. Thank you, man. Damn, you knocked it out. (laughs) How did I do? Did I do well? Well, I was listening very closely to make sure that you were not incorrect, and you were not incorrect. The part that I had, I was wondering, and I did some additional research, because I found it hard to believe. All of the business achievements, I, I found, like, following your work, that was very believable. The part that was hard to believe was seven kids, how one man can produce so many other human beings. So, so good for Is that true? You have seven kids? That I know of, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> And how, if you don't mind me asking, how, well, I mean, how old? I could have more. I don't know. Well, listen, you never know, right? We, we assume that they would let us know, the women from our past. They would tell us. You, you would assume, but you never do. But I know I have at least seven. That's all I'm saying. I know I have right. at least seven. <laughs> and if you don't mind me asking, how old are they? The youngest one is 23 months. Actually, 23 and a half months. She'll be two on the 14th this month. So two, eight, 10, 26, 28, 35, and 37. Wow. You know that scene from Goodwill Hunting when, when Matt Damon lied to the girl about having like 15 brothers and sisters and she tested him and said, tell me all their names. And then he went off and because he was a genius, so he made up all the names. Then she asked him to repeat it and he did it again. I'm not going to ask you to tell me all your kids' names because I believe you that you got them all. Brad, let's, let's jump into things. So the premise of this podcast is to go through, you know, your story. I've read a lot about you, but for the benefit of the audience, I'd like to go back to your childhood. I'd like to understand kind of your early days, how you started off. I know very well that you did not come from money. You very much came from the opposite of money and you built all of this. You built your life. So like, take me back, man. What was your early life like? Well, you know, I, I, Sometimes I wish I could make it sound more, you know, pathetic than it was. But in my mind, my childhood was just a normal, you know, blue collar childhood. I don't remember not having any money. You know, we had food. You know, my dad was a blue collar worker. There was four of us at at home until my little brother came from my mom eventually. And so then ultimately five of us. But my dad didn't have a lot of money. So I remember, you know, looking at the neighbors and realizing that they were rich and we weren't. But, dude, we had food. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, got, we got clothes. We got Christmas presents most years. I always joke that one year we didn't have Christmas presents. And so my dad cut a hole in my pocket so I'd have something to play with. 
<laughs> I saw that. I read that about you. Tell me, so your your parents remind me again. So what what did your parents do? Like, what was your dad's job? What was his what was his career? Well, I mean, over the, his whole life, he did a few things, but mainly he was a blue collar worker. Worked at a, a mill, you know, pulling green chain sawmill. At one point in my life, I would say I was probably between eight and 13, maybe, he became an entrepreneur. He opened a couple businesses. He had a, a little newspaper, a little local okay. newspaper. He had a pizza parlor and a tavern. And we actually started winning, you know, financially. We, we had a little tiny house that we built, or I say we, he hand built with his buddies into a big house. And the big house was ultimately, well, let's just say the, the original house we lived in growing up became the sunken living room. So the footprint of the mm -hmm. entire house was ultimately the sunken living room of the new house that, that he built on top of the old house. So we started to become actually you know, financially successful at some point, but he got sued and lost everything and then just went back to you know, working at the mill. Never, never, and never recovered. How, how old were you when, when that happened? Because I read that about you, that your dad got sued. So how old? I was you? probably 13, 14. And how was that like, like psychologically? Like, how do you recover from that? Because, you know, as a kid, you don't necessarily have the emotional maturity to kind of understand that things just kind of collapsed and went backwards. So how did you deal with that? Well, again, I mean, I don't think I acknowledged that things collapsed. You know, we went from a nice house to a freaking, you know, decent house. Right. I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I don't, I didn't know why we were moving. I didn't really realize anything. So again, thinking back, people say, Brad, you, you came from nothing. Well, I mean, dude, I don't know if you want to call that nothing. I came from normal. I, I didn't come right. from money. You know, we weren't starving. You know, I wish I could say, you know, I walked uphill both ways to school and <laughs> I, I carried a baked potato to keep my hands warm. And, you know, that was my lunch when I got there, but that's not true. Like I used to get $2 for lunch money for school every day. And then I'd go on the way to school. I'd stop at the little red store, spend my $2 on packs of bubblicious and bubble yum, bust them open. There was five pieces in each one and then go to school and sell them for a quarter a piece end up, you know, making way more money that way. So I was always entrepreneurial. My childhood in my mind was, was, was good. And so when he went okay. bust, so to speak, I don't really, I don't, I don't really acknowledge that he went bust. I just remember, you know, he lost all the businesses and had to go back to work. And so he went back to work and we moved from the nice house on the hill to a little, you know, I would say a shit box next to this grocery store. But again, I, I didn't really think to myself, what happened? I just, we're moving. And how many, sorry, how many siblings, like how many siblings do you have? Like how many of you guys were, how many of there were you? There was at this point, five of us. I mean, you sound like you're a, you're a fairly optimistic guy because I think a lot of people at the age of 13 would kind of look at that. Like I heard a story recently of, you know, somebody who in 2008 had lost everything and it was devastating for them, but it doesn't seem like that used, like that phased you. Is that just like a natural optimism that you had and continue to have? In, in retrospect, yes, I'm very optimistic. I always look on the bright side. I think I base my perspective in gratitude. I didn't, I didn't then, I just don't think I was smart enough to figure out that we just went broke. Okay. And quite, quite, quite frankly, listen, and quite okay. frankly, 
When my dad was financially successful, I also didn't realize that we were financially successful. It's not like I got a whole bunch of toys and, you know, he didn't start showering us with anything special. We still didn't really get much other than what we already were getting. Food, you know, clothes. Like, in other words, nothing really changed when he started making money except for he built a house, a nice house. We had a nice, we had a nice house. And then when we, when we, you know, when he went broke, we didn't have a nice house. So nothing else really changed. Okay. And okay. Okay. I get it. So look, I, I read the story about when you were a kid and you were going to door to, and you were going to door to door and you were selling, tell me that story when you were selling stuff, when you were like, I think eight years old. Well, I was in first grade, so I think I was six years old, and they gave me a box of candy bars, world's finest chocolate with almonds. And they sent me home with a box of chocolates to sell to my family like they do to kids. And I went home, and I think my brothers ate half of them. And so, you know, my dad wasn't buying any of them, and, I, and, he, and he told me, well, you got to go sell them. So I went out and started knocking on doors. And after a few doors, I realized... It's going to take all day. You know, I, I have to come up with something. So I put them behind my back and, and asked them if they knew the phone number to a good roof repairman. And they'd go, well, what? And they were confused looking. And I'd go, because when you taste one of these, you're going to go through the roof. And man, as soon as I started doing that, dude, the, the, they were laughing and calling their friend to come check this little kid out. And they were just buying box after box. I outsold everybody in the entire school. And probably still to this day, you know, nobody had ever sold all the candy bars that the, that the company sent to the school. We always had candy bars to send back according to the school. And this was the only year that we sold all of them because they would give all the candy bars the other kids couldn't sell to me. And I just went out door to door and I sold them all with this one spiel. Do you know the phone number to a good roof repairman? No, because when you taste one of these, you're going to go through the roof. Bam. So deal. So look, where did you get that from? I don't mean the exact line, but I mean, where did you get that charisma from? Because that's something that can't be taught. Like what you just described to me, that can't be taught. I'm trying to understand how people can, you know, how people can get this naturally. I, I think, do you have this naturally? Is this something that's developed? Is this something that came from your folks? I believe so. I think at the end of the day, I'm a clever son of a bitch. I think, you know, I've always been a clever son of a bitch. But when you say, where does it come from? I would say his name is Yahshua or Yahua or Yahweh. I'm just blessed, brother. Just blessed. I think everyone has an angel protecting them except me. I've got four that completely surround me. I'm one of the lucky. I'm one of the luckiest people on planet Earth. I really am. And, and, and. Quite frankly, I'm willing to roll the dice. So with that combination, man, you can't lose. So, okay. So, I mean, growing up, at what point did you realize you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was it like at the age of six when you, when you figured out how to sell these candy bars? Like, did you, know, did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur? No. Matter of fact, I didn't re even realize I had the gift to gab and I was a kick-ass salesperson. I, I, in fact, was convinced by my blue-collar family to go get a real job. Which is kind of funny because my brand is called real, like it's real. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 now when I tell stories, it's like maybe that's where I got that that affinity to the real brand. But my blue collar family wanted me to go get a real job, so I basically went out and applied to the Forest Service, and then I got a job fighting forest fires. 
So I ran, because in the Pacific Northwest, there's always fires every summer and you have to go put them out. So I'm thinking, you know, that I'm going to be up in the mountains with a flannel shirt and freaking an axe over my shoulder and a wolf by my side saving eagle eggs and shit. And I went around telling everybody, you know, I'm going to be a badass firefighter and, you know, I'm cool and I felt good about it. And I show up for the first day and I find out I'm not a firefighter. I'm what's called a piss bag operator. And that piss is a guy. Bag operator? The piss bag operator. It's a guy that puts right. a big bag of water on his back and you squirt on stumps that are smoldering so the real firefighters gotcha. don't have to come back and put it out again. So I had to go up and down these hills with this heavy bag of water squirting yeah. stump. And then I got a little poison oak and I went into the guy and I said, listen, I'm not gonna be able to come in for a couple of days because I got poison oak. About a quarter size patch of poison oak on my arm. And this dude opened up his shirt and basically showed me his body and it was covered in poison oak. And he said, buddy, that's part of the job. Now get back to work. And so right there on <laughs> Right, right there on the spot, I said, dude, I quit. What are you talking about, bro? This is a, everybody wants this job. I said, not me. So I quit. And I knew my grandpa, my dad, and everybody would be disappointed. And, they, you know, I finally got a real job because before that I was pulling weeds and just doing, you know, bullshit. And ultimately, man, I quit. And so the next day I opened up the newspaper and saw an ad for selling cars. So I said, okay, let me go try this. And I showed up for the first day and they let me go pick out a Trans Am as a demo, which was a free car basically. Yeah. And I thought and I thought in my head, one one place wants me to have a Trans Am with T-tops and one wants me to have Poison Oak for a living. I said, this isn't a hard choice. Let me stick with this. And then I started selling and I started out producing everybody that was there because they were lazy and they were freaking comfortable. So I just started crushing it and I started making more money than my dad and my uncles and everybody in my family. And, and they still didn't believe me. They're like, dude, come on, man. I'm telling you right now, you need to get a real job. That sales job is a bunch of nonsense. So they just didn't believe in sales. I did because I saw the results of sales and I just stayed in sales from then on. But to answer your question, at 30 years old, I helped somebody that was minimum wage really change his life by helping him learn how to make money and sell. And I watched what happened to his family and I thought, man, that feels good. I want to quit my job and I'm going to go help other people do that. And in retrospect, it's because up until 30, I just wanted to get rich and, 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 and make money for myself, for my own purposes. It was, it was like, it was all about me. And that was the first time that I didn't really think about me in that decision. I thought I want to help other people. And so literally the first, the first time I tried to help other people without even thinking of me is when success started happening. So believe it or not, you hear people say, you know, especially Zig Ziglar, he said, the best way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. Well, I never understood that, but now I do. It's always right, looking I back. I was, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because you, you, know, you just touched on something. So Zig Ziglar was the first book, the first sales book I ever read. And that put me on the path of sales because I've been doing sales for many years. And, and that put me on the path of sales. I remember I was working at a place called Future Shop. It's like a Best Buy. So I was on my feet selling computer hardware before I even knew how to use a computer. And mm -hmm. I read Zig Ziglar and that changed everything for me. So I just want to, I want, I want you to continue, but I want to kind of go back for a second. This natural sales ability that you have, because again, I'm trying to, I, look, I'm a big believer in sales. And that's one of the things that really attract me to your content because, you know, you've got an underlying kind of tone of sales. And I think sales is probably the most noble profession, you know, on earth. That's my, that's my opinion. I think that 
you know, nothing happens in the world unless a sale is done. And the people who, who do those sales, I think, are probably some of the hardest working people around. So, you know, that natural ability that you had when, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you got the Trans Am and that was kind of that, that catalyst that got you in because it's like a clear choice between the Trans Am and the Poison Oak. I mean, clearly you're picking the Trans Am and as I would as well. But I guess my question is, is that you kind of nonchalantly said, you know, I came in there and I crushed it and I did better than everyone else. And like you started making more money than, you know, your folks and, and, and like your dad and whatnot. But you kind of skipped how you did that. And that's what I really want to kind of extract from you is that you went in and you crushed it in sales. You were how old at the time? You were in your 20s, I'm guessing? 18. Well, technically, 18. I, I, technically I got the job at, at the final end of 17. Yeah. I even lied and said I was 18 and they caught me. And by the time they they caught me, I was almost 18. And he told me, you know, hey, do you think you can keep your mouth shut for a couple of weeks? I'm like, yeah, yeah get out there and sell some cars. That's another reason I knew that that was my business. But yeah, I was 18. So how'd you do it? Because you, you, know, you had a bit of a, you had a bit of a, like, of a handicap there, right? You had a bit of a detriment because you're 17, 18 years old. You look young. Like you lo I'm sure you looked your age, if not younger. And you have to convince people to spend, like this is their second biggest kind of expense after their home. And you're convincing them you're a kid. I want to understand how you got that skill. Like I get the natural talent. I get that. But you, know, you got to supplement that natural talent with some kind of education, there's some kind of experience. So, Brad, tell me, how did this happen? You know, like how, how did you how did you start selling circles around everyone at such a young age? Well, because I didn't know the bad habits yet. I didn't know to shortcut and do all the shit they were doing. But at the end of the day, I mean, I mean, sales isn't rocket science. We're not no. we're not we're not convincing people to buy cars. You know, they were coming to buy cars. We were just showing them the different options and then doing the paperwork. You know, I realized that number one, humor and, and likability was key and I was likable and I was kind of funny. And I think, you know, relationships at the end of the day is, is why people buy, you know, people don't buy just for one reason or the other. Now, even though relationships are important, if, you know, I didn't sell somebody that didn't want the cars I had, a car, I'm sure, you know, but if, if people think, you know, well, you had to convince them to spend all this money, you didn't have to convince them. You had to be nice. You had to answer their questions. You had to freaking, you know, give them the right information that they were looking for to, to give them, you know, what they needed to buy. In my opinion, all you have to do is raise the value of your product or service beyond the value of their money. And in order to figure out how people value money, you have to ask questions. You have to have a conversation. You have to build rapport, you know, and I was good at that. Okay. All right. So how did you go from, I mean, there was a long path between, you know, you working selling cars to, you know, you being the, the founder CEO of, of Lightspeed. So kind of what was the next step after, after selling cars? Where'd you go from there? I started a training business. You went straight into being an entrepreneur after selling cars. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, I, I didn't sell cars. I sold art, you know, I've sold RVs. I quit and worked at a bunch of different dealerships. So, I mean, I bounced around during that career, but at 30 years old, when I helped that dude, I'm like, dude, I want to help other people learn to sell and close. And, you know, I could probably make a bunch of money while I'm doing it. So let me, let me just go quit this job and start a company. And so I started a company to where I was training people. But when I went out and, and, and started, 
I couldn't get the same results as I had at the at the dealerships because I used to be able to take people out of Burger King and, and and you know the back lot and I could train anybody how to sell. I could literally take people that said they couldn't sell and turn them into badasses. So that's why I wanted to go do it for a living because I had the ability to help people make a lot of money and, and and I saw money change this guy's life and I knew money changed mine. So again, everyone said money's a bad thing, but it really isn't. It's a big good thing. And I had that ability, so I'm like, I got to go do this. So I quit my job to go do it, and then it wasn't working, and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working until I compared what I used to do to what I'm doing now. And I found four ingredients that are essential to effective training that I was inadvertently doing prior when I worked, but I didn't. I failed to do with my new company. Before, before you tell me what those four things were, what was that break? Like, why did it break from you knew what you were doing? Like, what you were doing before was working. So why did it break and you didn't do those four things or you didn't do some of those things that was causing you to fail when you tried teaching or training? Because I didn't realize I, were, I was doing those things. I didn't even realize that those things were necessary. I just did them inadvertently. Okay. Like in, so in what, other words, I was doing it on accident correctly and didn't realize I was doing it. And then when I quit, I, I couldn't get the same result. So it made me look at what I was doing. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, this is what I was doing here. And I'm not doing that here. I got to do this somehow. Mm -hmm. And those four, those four ingredients were good content. Yep. Repetition, practice and accountability. See, when I quit and went and started my own company training people, all I brought with me was the good content. And that's all I thought I was doing before, but I wasn't. They were working for me. I was giving them repetition all the time. I was practicing with them all the time. And I was holding them accountable all the time. And I just didn't realize it because we were at work every day. So when I trained people, they paid me to come in for one day. Nobody was working for me. There was no repetition. There was no practice. And there was no accountability. And that's why it didn't work. So I had to come up with a way to, to provide those without working at the company living there because Brad can, can you sort of interrupt you I apologize can you just elaborate what do you mean by content so I under from a sales perspective like when you say when I hear content I think of social media because I'm in that business too right so I, th I think social media when I say content repetition I understand practice I understand accountability from a sales training perspective but what do you mean by content is that is that the equivalent of product knowledge well no dude you got to know the right way to do it in the first place okay can you give me so, an example so well, if you train someone to do it wrong effectively, they'll do it wrong. So you have to know how to do it right in the first place. That's good content. Like, like in other words, yeah. So again, you have to have good content because you can train someone to do it wrong and they'll do it wrong. So, so you have to have the right way to do it. The good content is this is how you do it. This is the right way of doing this. So you have to have that. And I had that. But that's all I had. When I went out on my own, I didn't have repetition, practice, and accountability. So I, inv I invented Lightspeed VT to deliver those other three things. So I put my content in an in a online web-based training system, which, by the way, no one was doing it at the time. So we literally started the industry. Mm -hmm. I put my good content in a system that allowed me to provide repetition, practice, and accountability virtually online and it started working again and then i started selling it to all of these different sales agencies to train their teams and then i ran into a competition 
and I, and I couldn't get past this certain level. And then I kept running into people going, well, we use this person and we use that person. And I said, wait, if I had that person on this system, would you do it? And they said, absolutely. And so I went and started contacting the experts that they were, you know, using. And I knew they didn't have my system because no one did. So I go and so I went and started closing the people that were teaching other people how to close. And so I and so I literally closed Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Brian Tracy, John Maxwell, you know, and the name the list goes on. I can't even remember them all, but they were all the big name trainers. Yeah. And, and because of my clients were all the big name trainers, they would get mad if I tried to sell my training because I knew where all their customers were. Hold, hold on. So you're, you're skipping a couple of steps here. You're skipping a couple of steps. So first of all, before I ask my question, I want to tell you that I'm actually in the process of signing up for your, for your training for members of my team because I have a sales component to one of my businesses. So you, that definitely caught my attention and we'll be signing up for that. Again, you kind of nonchalantly said that, you know, you got Tony Robbins. I mean, Tony Robbins arguably is, you know, he's one of the biggest names, you know, in thought leadership, in self-improvement. So, you, again, you're just very casual about the fact that you signed Tony Robbins, but you're coming from a place where, you know, you don't have a big client base and you go straight to Tony Robbins. So talk me through, wow. again, for the benefit of the audience, how do you go straight to the top and start soliciting, you know, people at that level? You go like this. Like again, a lot of people try to make it complicated. How do you go to the top? Dude, you, you find the top and go to it. It's not that difficult. So if you, if you use Tony Robbins as an example, he would talk to you. Why? Well, cause, because he, you're paying him to, tr to, to train your company. Grant Cardone, you, know, you could call his office and, and you know, he would charge you money to come train your dealership. Uh, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, all these big name speakers and trainers, Tom Hopkins, you know, you could hire them. So I called their office and said, Hey, I got something to show you. And I know people that want to hire you. And they said, sure, come on over. And so I went over there and I said, listen, here's my platform. And I've tried to sell them mine, but they want yours, but they want this platform and you don't have it, so why don't I take my name off and my brand off and put your name on and your brand on, and you can go right over there and start getting X amount of dollars a month for just passwords. And, and I closed them on that just for a piece of the revenue. So I said, you go, you go take the big piece. I'll just take what I call the sliver to deliver, a little fraction of the action. It became known as a tad for Brad. But <laughs> at the end of the day... I started rev sharing with these subject matter experts and it, and I didn't start with Tony Robbins. So I, I, I ended up closing Tony Robbins and, and, you know, I didn't start at the top just FYI. I started with the people that they were telling me and a lot of, a lot of these guys, nobody's ever heard of, but they're, but they're, in, they're, they're big or well-known in their niche. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I could give you a bunch of names that were in the very beginning and you probably wouldn't know who they were, but they were, they were known in that industry. Brad, the tech, the tech component is complex. Like you're, yeah. again, you know, you're, you're talking about this. It doesn't sound to me like in, you know, to up until now, you haven't really elaborated on any kind of tech knowledge that you have or your ability to produce a platform like the platform you're talking about. I've taken a look at some of your demos. It's complex what you do. So how did you kind of bridge that gap with that kind of maybe lack in experience in producing technology? 
I just, I just found someone that, that knew it. You know, I closed them on building me my first version for, for free, technically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to go hire developers, the people that knew what they were doing. I, I definitely, I still don't know what I'm doing. On the tech perspective. So, you, I mean, you have a, in, like an entire tech team. If you don't mind me asking, how big is your organization? Because it looks like it's like you've got a lot of scale over there. I mean, we, I think we have like 63 employees total at, at Lightspeed. You don't need a lot for a tech company. Right, right. I want to jump into some of your content and I want to jump into some of the things that you talk about. You know, obviously some of the stuff that, that I watch you do and I want to talk about some of the recent stuff. So, you know, you, you, you recently put out a reel and you talked about, you know, self-prioritizing in order to help others. Can you elaborate on that? Like, what is that, that concept of putting yourself first in order to actually put others first? Well, a lot of people, they don't realize that they're never going to outperform their own self-image. And, you know, we get raised being taught to put others first and to, you know, sacrifice this and sacrifice that. And, 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 and somewhere along the way, we, we, we fail to realize that, you know, we're the most important person in our life because we're the ones that are really going to make a difference. I always tell people, hey, you want me to introduce you to somebody that will show you how to make $10 million? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, go into the bathroom, shut the door, and look around. You'll see them. You know, that's, that's the person that you should be nice to. That's the person you should be taking care of. That's the person you should be building a relationship with. You, because you truly are the only actual person that can make a difference in your life. Everyone else is not necessarily that person. So why are you treating yourself so poorly? Why do you think of yourself so negatively? Why do you underestimate your ability? Why do you screw yourself nonstop by procrastinating and lying and cheating yourself? Like if we were our own best friend, we'd freaking punch ourselves in the nose. So, so I want people to realize if, if you believe that, which it's true, if you want to raise your net worth, you have to raise your self-worth. And if you want to raise your self-worth, you have to realize that, that you're the most important priority in your life. And if, and when people start arguing, well, that's selfish. Again, you got to stop listening to other people. They're not as important as you are. Listen to yourself. When I realized I can't make everyone happy, right? Because you agree you can't make everyone happy? Well, you could try, but you're not going to accomplish that. Okay, so you agree you can't make everyone happy? N- no, you cannot. You're right. Yes, I agree. Okay, so once I realized that, I'm like, okay, well, then I got to pick who to make happy. Am I going to make my parents happy? Am I going to make my girl happy? Am I going to make my kids happy? Who am I going to make happy? Well, when I was thinking, who am I going to make happy? I happened to be standing in a, you know, next to a mirror. And I saw me and I thought to myself, man, I wish I could pick that dude because I will never let that guy down. That's my man for life. And then I thought to myself, why can't I pick me? Why can't I be an option? And I couldn't find an answer. So I decided to make me the guy that I make happy. And ever since then, everything went perfect. And then I realized in hindsight, like I always got to look back and realize shit. Making myself happy is literally how I become the best version of myself for everybody else anyway. Because if I'm not happy, am I really taking care of my kids? Am I really taking care of my spouse? Am I really giving everybody the best version of me if I'm walking around miserable and upset and, 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 and depressed? No. So, so in order to literally put everybody else first, you must put yourself first. 
Yeah. And people don't get that. And I get it. Because again, I think one of my gifts is I provide clarity in a world of chaos. I think I make things simple to understand. And I have a way of breaking it down to where people can simply understand it. And to me, that's what I'm trying to do there. I say I'm the most more, most important person in my life. I'm not more important than you. I'm not more important than this person. I'm the most important person in my life. And it's my life. So I get to determine that. My wife's not as more important than me. My kids aren't more important than me. Nobody's more important than me. Why? Because if I don't do that, well, then I'm letting them down. And believe it or not, they are so important to me. Unfortunately, I have to put myself first. Making that connection, you know, I agree with you. Look, making that connection, it's hard for other people to do when they look in on you. So they'll they'll perceive it as being selfish, right? Wait, and I'm sure we've all, but it, but it is what it is, right? Like, you know, you if you have to, you, to your point, you got to be authentic and true to yourself. And I've seen that too with, you know, myself. Like I have three, I have three little, little kids. I have three little boys. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, I have my wife and stuff. And yeah, man, when, when things get hard, I only recently have learned that I got to take care of myself first. So I got to go to the gym more. I got to do like my sauna and cold plunge more. I got to eat right more. And I got to spend more time on me. And if that means I got to like leave town for three or four days and just blow off some steam and just kind of get, get back to, you know, to where I need to be, you know, other people will look at that and they'll say it's selfish. Luckily, my wife's not one of those people. She'll look at it and she'll be like, yeah, I get it. Like, go do you and come back and, you know, get, get shit done. You know, you talked about you talked about in that statement, you know, when things like you don't you have you, you don't want to be all negative and you don't want to be sad and upset. So when like things go bad, you know, you need to be the best version of yourself. So I guess my question is, is like during those difficult times and you and I are about the same age you, and you, you got a couple of years on me, you know, things sometimes are bad and things go bad. And, you know, these are things that are beyond our control and things that are affect us like, you know, geopolitical shit, you know, things at the office, losing clients, losing friends, you know all of these things. So how do you kind of go through life when these negative things happen? I mean, you're obviously naturally an optimistic person, you know, talking about when, you know, things went down with your, you know, with your family when you were, you know, when you were a teenager, but how does, how does one who doesn't have that natural kind of innate positivity like you do, how do you get past that? So when bad things happen, what is your advice to your friends, you know, as to how to get past those difficult things that happen in life? Well, I mean, initially, it's just look on the bright side. But in order to get them to understand how to do that, I, I really try to give them some things to think about that would, that would make common sense. So, for example, it's all perspective. It's all perspective. So you can see a situation that two people are in, exact same situation. One's happy, one's upset. Just depends on their perspective. So, for example, I used to be mad that I had no shoes until I saw a man with no feet. You've heard that? Yes. Same, same concept right there. So when I say, Hey, how about this? If I gave you a million dollars, how would you feel? People go, Oh my God, that would be amazing. And you know, my life would be better and I, all my problems would be solved and I'd be so happy and I wouldn't be upset and I wouldn't be depressed, yada, yada. And I said, well, if I offered you the million dollars, but you knew by taking it, you wouldn't wake up tomorrow, would you take it? They're like, well, no. So you realize that waking up is worth more than a million dollars? They're yeah. like, yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And then I think, well, then how come you don't feel the same way every day? You wake up. How, how many, how many, like, do you know a lot of rich people who are miserable for the specific reason because they don't, they feel they don't have enough? No. I went to a party once to a, like a, to a, like a, a billionaire acquaintance of mine. And I was walking the grounds with a guy worth about maybe 150 million. This was years ago. And I remember the guy worth 150 million was walking around so upset. He was so pissed off and just angry and mad looking around. And he looked at me and I couldn't believe what he said to me. He said, you know what? I could have been a billionaire too. And when I heard that, you know, from my perspective, I'm not worth $150 million, but when I heard that, that really, that woke something up in me saying, wow, it doesn't matter how high you climb if you carry this, this poison in you of comparison. It doesn't matter because the billionaire is going to look at the guy who's worth $10 billion and he's going to be miserable too. So, yeah, to your, to your point, man, yeah. It, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and again, I was just about to add to that. And, and, and both of them are, are ridiculously, you know, ridiculous. I mean, at yeah, the end of the yeah. day, at the end of the day, that, that's just, to my mind, the wrong perspective. So if you, want to, if you want to have an optimistic outlook and you want to have an abundance mindset, and you do, trust me, you need to base everything in gratitude. So when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think about and do is I smile and I literally and honestly, genuinely start smiling and I get excited because I realize, dude, I get another one. Thank God. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I get another one. I don't care what happens during the day, brother. I, it's going to be a good day. The question is how good is it going to get? But at wow. the end of the day, it's a good day just from, from the get-go. I realize this. So it, once I start, once you start down that path, you start to realize, well, wait a minute, dude, you can pretty much see the bright side in every situation. A hundred percent. I'll give you a really good example. It happened to me recently. About a month ago, my daughter almost drowns in our pool. Oops, yeah. Like, okay? yeah, she's fine. But I'm on an airplane and my eight year old, for some reason is FaceTiming me. And I don't even know how the call is coming through. I'm on an airplane. So I, slide it over and I go, what's up? And I see that she's crying. And all she said is, daddy, Chloe was in the pool. And then boom, the phone goes dead, drops the call. I'm like, oh my God, my stomach is like freaking out. I freaking answer the phone three minutes later when my wife's now calling. And like, I don't understand how the phone call is coming through. I'm on a plane and I open it and, I, and I've never seen her look this way. She was stark white, her eyes were bawling. And all she said is, honey, Chloe was in the pool and then boom. Oh man. Freaking phone died again. So dude, I'm I'm freaking the hell out. I am sure that my little baby girl is now gone. So I land and I call and my wife's bawling and everybody in the background's bawling. And it turns out, you know, they found her in the pool. She was she was already blue and but but you know, I'm like well, then who's that baby crying? And they said, that's Chloe. And I said, she's crying? They said, yeah. And I said, oh, thank God, right? She's crying, you know? I talked about that. And by the way, she turned out to be just fine. You know, yeah, she was blue. And yeah, she would have died if, if we didn't get her when we got her. And Sorry, you know, this all is, that. How, how old is Chloe? Like last month, 23 months. So she's the baby. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify. She's, so she's your baby. Okay. 
Yep. And by the way, the same thing happened to me when I was that age. But anyway, not drowning, but almost died. And quite frankly, dude, she, there, there's more to the story to where we're surprised she didn't die. But the point being is she was alive and everything's fine. And so I'm talking to somebody about it. And my, my wife's mom started getting all jittery and said, Brad, quit talking about that. And I said, why? And she said, that was the worst day of my life. And I said, that was the best day of mine. What do you mean? She, she lived. Was okay. She, was okay. she lived. I'm thankful she lived. I'm not worried that she fell in the pool. I'm not fucking looking for the negative. I am so thankful that she is alive. I will talk about that day until I'm freaking dead. That was one of the best days of my life. To her, it's one of the worst days of her life. Why? Because of perspective. her perspective. perspective. Period. So if you want to change your life, shift your perspective to one of gratitude. Start to realize it could always be worse. Start right. to realize that you are one lucky individual and there is an abundance of everything. I hate when people have a scarcity mindset like, you know, oh, I got to take yours because there's not enough. So I'm going to take yours. No, instead of trying to compete, start to collaborate. I guarantee you, you're going to do better. Start to realize that there's an abundance of things in the world and there really is, you know, money, you know, people start a company at nothing and, and they're willing to risk everything and they, they do anything and everything to be successful. Then they start to find a little success. And then what do they do? They start to freaking, you know, get scarcity yeah. mindset because I don't want to go broke again. So I'm not going to spend that money and I'm not going to take that risk. And ultimately what happens is they stunt their growth. Then they come to a guy like me and they go, bro, what do I do? I've been at the same level for five years. And I'm like, well, tell me, you know, give me your financials and whatnot. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You got like fucking, you know, X amount of dollars in the bank. Why don't you use that to do this? Well, no, I don't want to spend that because if this right. thing bad happens and I don't want to use that because, and I'm like, dude, that's just money. It's just a tool. There's more to make. There's more that comes. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? And I'm like, dude, see, there's your problem. What if it doesn't? Like, what do you mean, what if it doesn't? What did you do what when you were broke? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, come on, folks. Like, dude, it, it's not the end of the world. What's the worst that can happen? You know, you so got to start. I, so what? Yeah, no. Dude, listen, it, you have to sacrifice for what you want or what you want becomes the, the sacrifice. sacrifice. Absolutely. So you, you know, I, I sacrifice either way. Money yeah. is a tool. People need to realize Money is simply a tool. Money is a tool. And if you don't use the tool, shame on you. Imagine walking up to somebody trying to build like a dog house. And you see a massive shed of tools, power drills, skills, saws, everything. They're sitting right there. But they're sitting there trying to put everything together and saw the wood with a butter knife. And you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, you know, I'm building a dog house. And then you say, well, why don't you use those tools? Oh, no, no, no. I'm saving those. And then you say, well, what are you saving them for? Oh, I don't know. In case something happens someday, I want to build something. Dude, you're building something right now. What if there is yeah. no someday? Like, dude, use the tools you got. And that's why you're not growing. And people start using the money. And they're like, well, some are pessimistic. They're like, oh, you're just saying that because you want my money. Bitch, I don't want your money. I got enough money of my own. Like, I'm, I'm telling you what I would do if I were you. I would use that money and I would start advertising. I would use that money and I would start hiring help. I would use that money and I would buy some technology. But at the end of the day, I would use that money. It wouldn't be sitting there in the bank, me holding on to it like I'm never going to get anymore. And dude, 
the ones that listen start to do what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, boom, they get to the next level and the next level. And all I did was I showed them that, hey, more can come. So mm -hmm. what did I really do? I just kind of shifted their mindset from scarcity to abundant. And it's hard for some people. I understand. People get scared. They don't want to go backwards. Well, dude, sometimes you have to risk going backwards to go forwards. And I'm, and I'm okay with risk. Why? Because at the end of the day, dude, at the end of the day, risk is opportunity. Okay? And if you spend your life avoiding opportunities, it doesn't make any sense. But how do you identify that? So, I mean, you know, I've, I've heard you talking about, like, reinvesting and, you know, rather than taking the money that you make and live your life, you reinvest that money into whatever investments to create kind of a, you know, you mentioned passive income. I guess, like, were you a big believer in reinvesting into your own business for growth and taking as little as possible over time? Fortunately, yeah, fortunately, yes, in my business. Again, I, I, I blew a lot of money trying to impress people. I always make a joke and say, listen, if I had all the money I spent trying to impress people back, it'd be an impressive amount. But, but I wasn't very smart when I earned money because I used my earned money and I spent it looking cool when I should have right. been investing. But my business, thankfully, we had to do it or we'd be out of business. Right. So I'd make money and then use the money I made to make more money and then use that money to make more money. And fortunately, and I didn't know to do it, I just inherently naturally knew that, hey, man, this is all we got. We got to go. So, yes, I continued to use money to build the business, and that's how I built the business. I remember one time I said, listen, when we get to $5,000 a month in, in recurring revenue, we can hire somebody. And then I'd get to 5,000 and I'd hire somebody. And then I realized now there's two of us to get to 5,000. And when I got to another 5,000, I could hire somebody. And then it was always this, every time I got another 5,000, I would hire somebody. And, and to me, like I stayed broke the whole time because every time I got five grand, I just hired somebody. Yep. And, and pretty soon I had a whole team of people and now we weren't doing five grand shit. We were doing 500 grand. And I, and I had the same concept. As soon as we get a little bit more, we can hire these people. So looking back, well, that's exactly what I should have done. I don't know how I did it. No one taught me to do it. I just inherently realized that, you know, this is a resource to, to, to get the things needed to grow. So, yeah, I did do that with business, thank God. But I think a lot of people, like myself included, especially in the early days, where you have money and you have a bit of a surplus in your business and you can reinvest it back into business growth to your point on the 5,000 hire another person or you can buy yourself like a Mercedes, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's hard to know like when is it okay to reward yourself for hard work and you know, and when is it, and, and when should you keep reinvesting that money? So like I'm constantly reinvesting. So my main business is my wife's media company. So my wife is an influencer. She's, we've developed a big audience, we've developed a personal brand and we monetize that. And we've got a team of 20 people. And you know, whenever she says to me, like, you want to hire another person, you want to, you know, spend, you want to invest more money. She goes like, what if, but what if it doesn't work? And my response to her is, but what if it does? You know, what if it does? And so far it's been working. So I guess, I guess my question to you is like, how do you delineate that? Like, how do you know shit? Like, you know, I can take a little off and I can go on vacation or I can buy that car or that watch or, you know, do I keep putting it back in? Where's that point where you can say, you know, I want to reward myself? In my mind, you would use your intuition and determine the, the, context in in which you're asking because again everybody's different every situation is different i don't i can't answer one size fits all because 
everyone has their own situation. To me, I used to, you know, buy things I probably shouldn't have bought financially, but looking back, didn't hurt me at all. In fact, it's probably why I worked hard as I did. So, I mean, you never know. So yeah. to me, when you, when you ask me, I'm just going to give you my answer. I believe that you should make yourself happy, but prioritize your goal. In other words, if I could get the Mercedes and hit my goal, I'm doing that. So I'm eroding myself right now. Why? Because I believe I can have both. I don't believe it's one or the other. I don't believe it. So if I did believe it, well, then it's not time to reward yourself. Every time I spent money, right? Which again, looking back, I probably shouldn't have, but I did. Why? Because I believed that I could do both, but you got to prioritize your goal first. If I ever would have thought, if I get that Mercedes, I cannot, I, I won't achieve this. I wouldn't have bought it. And there's been a lot of times where I said, no, why? Because dude, if I do that, I can't have this. So just put your priorities where they belong and, and use those as your guide. If you truly believe you can do both, do both. That's always my answer. Lamborghini or yeah. Ferrari? Both. We went down to look at a hockey suite. I mean, a hockey seat because my wife loves hockey. I didn't even like it at all, but the Golden Knights came to town. So she's like, let's stop by and look at them. I'm like, why? She goes, well, you know, just let's look at them. So I look at these two glass seats and they're like $44,000 each. I'm like, damn. Like, dude, that, babe, that's a lot. Like, freaking $44,000. That's cray cray, you know, just for seats. So, anyway, she goes, Well, let's go look at the suite. And I'm like, Why? Those are like freaking quarter million and up. Why would we look at a suite? She said, Well, let's just look at them. And so I walk in, and man, it's unbelievable. That's why they call it a suite, by the way, because when you walk in, you're like, Damn, this is sweet. But I walked in, and we, and we were looking at the suite, and it was so crazy. Guess which one I ended up getting? I want to say you got the suite. Both. You got the suite okay. and the seats? And the glass seats. That's right. So again, when there's a choice, pick both. Unless, of Sorry, course, we, you... We cut out for a second. You picked both. You got the suite and the seats? Yeah, I got both. Because again, your answer should always be both if it's possible. So again, I knew I could get both. Mm -hmm. Why pick? So at the end of the day, when to answer your question, when do you know when you should reward yourself versus invest? When you believe that you can have both. If you don't believe you can have both, if your intuition, and by the way, most people should listen to more intuition. If you don't believe you can have both, well, then pick your priority. Right. That's, right. that's the rule I used. I don't have the answer for everybody because everyone has their own little situation they're in. But the, the rule that guided me is, man, if I could have both, I'm going to reward myself and hit my goals. I'm going to yeah. reward myself and invest. But it was never an either or. And when it was an either or, I went with the priority. So like if I asked you, if I asked you right now, if you had to lose your business or lose your children, which would you lose? My business. So your children are the priority. So the next Clearly. time you say, should I do this or should I do that? Well, dude, can you have both? And if the answer is no, I can't have both. Well, then you already know which one to pick. That's the method I use. I use the priority method. I think to myself, when should I get the Mercedes? Well, right fucking now if I can. Okay, but I'm not going to choose the Mercedes over my priority. And if my priority cannot be had, 
then I don't pick the, the Mercedes as this example. And again, use your intuition. There's people out there that don't listen to their intuition when, dude, we're born with intuition. Everyone yeah, absolutely. has absolutely. You know what You know whether you should or shouldn't. And you're, a lot of times, right, but it's, you, you don't, don't want to like the way. Answer. Well, you don't like ego. the answer. Yeah, ego gets in the way. Because, you, you, you know, you see other... Like, you know, as, especially as a man, you know, you're, you're really driven by those material things, by that car, by that watch, and you see your buddies have it, and you, you know, you want to do that too. And I think a lot of mistakes happen then. I think when I can tell you from my own experience, like, you know, in my 50 years, every time I've led a decision with ego, I've lost. Every time. It's, I'm, well, see, it's, I've never won. Well, see, that's crazy because I'm the opposite. I've never, I've never thought to myself, I shouldn't do this. Because what if I can't make the payment? Or what if I can't do this? And I did it, and I couldn't. No, but I don't mean that kind of ego. I mean just like when I was being principled about something, where I was just being like stubborn, and you know, I had to prove, I had to prove to somebody something. But when it comes to like when it comes to fancy stuff, it's actually interesting. I had a, somebody who eventually became my mentor. He was a guy who was about twenty years older than me, and I came to him and I said, "I'm going to buy my first like nice car." Like I had a Volkswagen before. I was in my early twenties, or I know I was actually in my late twenties already, and I said, "I'm going to get this." BMW Z whatever four Z3 it was a Z3 at the time and he said to me but that's like a shitty car as compared to you should get a Mercedes like CLK 500 and I said that car like the payments are twice as much he says go buy the CLK 500 because you buy that car you're going to be more motivated and you're going to grow your business faster now as a young guy listening to an older guy who's telling me like buy the nicer car and like double your payment on it uh, you know considering nobody else is giving me advice I went and did it and I got that nicer car and things worked out. I don't think they worked out because of that, but that's a mentality that, you know, I kind of have to this day. I, I control it. Like I'm not reckless with it, but you know, when we came down to Miami and we're like, okay, let's buy a house, you know, for X amount versus like, you know, two X. And my wife's like, let's be more conservative. I said, no, no, no. We're, you know, we came cause we just moved to America like less than three years ago. And I said, no, no, we're here to make something happen. So we are going to buy that nicer house because I don't want to move anymore. I don't want to move in like five years. So that's kind of my take on that. One of the things that I'm just going to switch gears a little bit. Jim Rohn, who I believe you are a fan of, kind of like one of the original guys and like all, a lot of his content is resurfacing now. You know, those old black and whites. And he has a quote and I have a, I'm going to mention that quote. I'm going to state it. And then I'd like to get your opinion on a component of it. So Jim Rohn said, if you work hard on your job, you can make a living, which is fine. If you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune, which is super fine. And you commented on that in one of your reels recently. And my question to you is, how do you work on yourself? What is it? What are the actual things? I want to know from you, what are the actual things? Like there's things that are obvious, like you got to work out, you know, you got to eat right. But how do you work on yourself? What, what does that mean? How do you, how do you translate Jim Rohn's uh, statement there? Well, I constantly try to seek new information so I can change my beliefs and grow and develop my, my intelligence and my value, quite frankly. The more you know and, the, and the, you know, the, the more valuable you are to you and everybody else in the world. Relationships, that's another way uh, to develop yourself. I mean, again, the more I believe the people in the world that don't have everything they want is because they don't know the right people. If you knew the right people, you'd have everything you wanted. So you develop your value and you develop your, your, your growth and your mindset 
But ultimately, it boils down to three areas. Mindset, skill set, and habits. So that's the three I focus on, and it continues to work. So until it doesn't, I'm sticking with those three. But when Jim says, you know, develop yourself, you'll make a fortune, that's because, listen, there's no better investment than, than you. You know, if you, if you spend $50,000 giving it to somebody that teaches you how to sell, close, and persuade, some people would tell you you're stupid. You just got screwed. Well, if what they taught you makes you millions of dollars over the years, did you really get screwed? Or did they get screwed because they believed it's a ripoff? I can't tell you how many people I have on my platform selling courses. I can't tell you how many people I see say, you know, those snake oil salesmen, they just want you to buy their course. Listen, there's some of those out there, but at the end of the day, personal development is basically the best investment you can make. So when Jim Rohn says that, how do I do it? I read, I learn, I network, and I build relationships. And, I, and, and the main relationship I continue to build is the one I have with myself. I constantly have to, you know, audit my my thoughts and beliefs and, 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 and try to stretch them and grow them and, and almost open my mind a little bit. You know, you've done a lot of self-work, man. It sounds like you've done a lot of this self-work. Like I, I realize a lot of this is natural, but the things you're talking about, you know, I have a, I have a friend who sold this company for hundreds of millions of dollars, really smart guy, him and, you know, and him and him and his, him and his wife actually. And one of the first things he did after he sold this company is he like, he went to India and he did self-work. And, you know, you remind me of like your mindset kind of re it reminds me of his where, you know, you, you've done the work. Like, have you done this work or is it again, is this just natural? Well, I, I don't know if I've done the work. I've had the experiences to cause me to realize. Someone says, Brad, where did you learn that? I don't really learn. I realize there's a difference. Learn is like you taught me and I took your word for it. And, and so I learned it. You know, I, I wrote a book called The Hard Way, which is lessons I learned the hard way so you don't have to. Because for some, for some reason, I wasn't smart enough to follow other people and get coaches and mentors and learn. I realized the hard way a lot of times. So when you say, did I, you know, I would say, you know, I did the work, obviously, but it wasn't intentional. Like I never said, man, I got to go do this work. Now I do. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Now I realize, wait a minute, I need to be doing this more often. Because now I realize, you know, I'm the most important investment I can make. I want to be better for my kids. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better brother. I want to be a better dad. I want to be better. And the only way to get better, in my mind, is to do the work. And, and yeah. dude, ultimately, that's working out. That's eating right. That's learning. That's freaking sharing. That's helping. That's, you know, being uncomfortable so you can grow and develop. That's putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, which people don't like to do. That's stretching, man. So there's a lot of ways to, to grow. But for those of you out there listening to this that haven't even started, I would say start by reading. And then once, you, once you've read and you start to read and you start to change your beliefs is, is what it's going to cause, you know, then start writing. Okay. Start writing. writing. Start, yeah. Start purging and, and, you know, think it causes you to think, which basically it's thinking, but read writing about, sorry, writing about what, about whatever you want, whatever random you thoughts. About. You got to think okay. to write. So you read, then you write. And then, you know, once you're 
you know, doing a lot of that, you'll realize how, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, there's a good word for this, but cathartic. Okay. You'll realize how cathartic it is, but, but, and then, and then speak, like get up on stage and, and try to orate and, and verbally communicate. And that's going to grow and develop you personally. In other words, that's personal development. So do you, are you a big believer in doing things that you're not comfortable doing? To a point. Yeah. Well, like, how, I say what, have you, what have you done to like make yourself like, have you for, have you ever forced yourself to do something that you don't want to do or that you're uncomfortable doing, or you've been pretty much cool doing anything? I mean, again, to a point. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't like really going to the gym every day, but you know, you gotta, you gotta stay fit. You gotta stay healthy. I don't yeah. really like, you know, limiting what I get to do and eat, but I, I give myself, you know, boundaries. So I'm not a freaking gluttonous yep. pig. But I'm not, I'm not jumping out of an airplane. Like, dude, I don't give a shit about thrills. Like, dude, people say, hey, man, you, you got to face what you're afraid of. Listen, I, I agree with that in some cases, but I'm not in agreement when there's death involved. Why? Yeah, well, because, yeah, yeah. No need. because I'm, not, I'm not jumping out of an airplane. No. I'm afraid I'm afraid of freaking cobras, but I'm not going to go handle them. Yeah, for sure. Like for me, this podcast was out of my comfort zone. Like I've never done anything. You're my, I believe you're probably like 27th or 28th episode. So I, and one of the things I took from you is, you know, you were, you were, you were talking to someone, uh, you know, I think it was maybe somebody had called in and they had said, you know, my podcast isn't growing. And you said like, how many episodes have you done? And it was like some small number and that wasn't very frequent. And you said, you have to do a thousand episodes. So again, taking, you know, a page out of your book, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this thing till the wheels fall off. Like I'm going to keep going. And uh, yeah, and it's definitely something that's out of my comfort zone. And I'm always like, I'm always pushing my boys. I, like I mentioned, I have three boys and I'm always pushing them to go out of their comfort zone because I, I really do believe things start happening when you push yourself past those, those points. Like, you know, things like cold plunges and all that stuff I think is really important. I want to switch gears for a second, Brad. And I want to talk about kids for a second because... You know, having a having having seven kids, I'd like to know from you because I'm pretty opinionated on this. But I'd like to know from you, like, what are the biggest challenges in raising kids in the internet age, as opposed to when you and I kind of were coming up when there was no internet? Like, what's the biggest challenge for you? Keeping them off it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Just keeping them off it. I mean, as opposed versus the internet age. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of challenges to raising kids, but. One of the challenges in the internet age is keeping them off of it. They're, it is designed to addict them yeah. or cause them to be addicted. You know, they are always wanting their phones and their iPads. They're always wanting to get online. It's like amazing. And quite frankly, I'm a firm believer that, it, you know, it, it's not healthy for a child to be 24-7 glued to the internet. Should they have access to it? I believe so, yes. There's amazing resources on there. But... My biggest challenge is to keep them off of it. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, like you and I are both in the content business. You produce a lot of content. I produce a meaningful amount of content. You know, being in the business and having this insight, I understand, as do you, that, you know, these people who are creating content for children, they're not, it's not like in the old days when there were networks and it had to go through all these levels of, you know, decisions. These are people creating content strictly for the purpose of monetizing your child's attention. So you do that through sensationalism and through, you know, pulling them in with sensational content that is not good for them. So for me, I always have a challenge with this. I was just curious to hear your opinion on it because this is something I definitely struggle with.
because you can keep them off of it. But as soon as they leave the house, some other kind of, you know, knucklehead parent is giving their kids an iPad that they're, you know, bringing to school. And then they're all sitting around there like a bunch of zombies using this thing. So, you know, this is the first generation that has this problem. You know, we didn't have it, but this is the first generation. It'd be interesting to see in 20 years what our, like, you know, nine and 10 year olds are going to be like having this like you know mainstreamed into their brains so i was just curious on your take on that something else that's not business related i wanted to touch on you often talk about dating and you often talk about you know kind of relationships between men and women i think it's a it's a reoccurring topic i see in your content what are your kind of opinions on modern dating especially and i go back to like the internet especially with all this technology and everything that's happening and you know the fact that people have choice and they're bouncing around between relationships how do you how do you, what's your take on what's going on in the world and what's kind of the state of, of, of dating and people getting together and building families? Well, do you got to be more specific? So, okay. So for example, like there are these apps, right? So these apps allow you to have, you know, people have choice. So back in the day, if you met a girl that you liked, you would put in a lot of effort into, you know, retaining her, if you will. Whereas now, you know, guys who date girls, if she says something stupid, they're out. They're they're swiping through Tinder and they're they're you know they have all the choice in the world. I guess my question to you is like, where do you think this is going? Do you think that this is inevitably kind of like the fall of society because you know it's going to be hard for people to pair up, or do you think this is a, an efficient way for now people to find their partner in life? Well, dude, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but even though it is a little bit easier nowadays, and you know, just because there's an app that has a bunch of women on it doesn't mean you're gonna get a bunch of women, okay? If you're a freaking ugly dipshit dork, <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably not gonna get any on the app either. So if I were you, I wouldn't worry about getting in a relationship. I'd start building a relationship with yourself. I would start working on yourself. I'd start getting you to be the best version you could and quit worrying about finding somebody. Because I think at the end of the day, the, the, the right person you will find whether you want to or not. I, I, I see people say, well, man, you got these apps that you can just swipe and get laid in any city in the world. Dude, that's not true, bro. I mean, yes, it is true for some people, but not all people, bro. You know, there's probably 5% of the people on those apps that are getting all the play, you know. And then there's catfishing and lying and all that Dude, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be focused on finding a relationship. Honestly, if I were coaching somebody young, I would say, listen, you don't need the app to meet somebody, first of all. Second of all, you're not ready to meet somebody. If you want to meet somebody, that proves you're not ready to meet somebody. Why? Yeah. Because yeah. Dude, if you really want to freaking you know, meet the right, right people, it's not going to be swiping right, dude. It's not going to be sitting there trying to base it on their looks, base it on anything. What you need to do is go work on yourself, become the best yes. version of you. And once you're the best version of you and you actually love yourself, you'll realize you don't need anybody. And that's yeah. when you'll yeah. find the right people. I, you know what? I agree with you 100%. That's, uh, that, you, know, you're, you are exactly saying my, my, you know, my, my opinion and philosophy on that matter. Brad, I'm going to conclude with one question. I have one question for you. And I would like to know what does success actually mean to you? The ability to freaking go where you want, with whom you want, for as long as you want, and have the ability to give without regard, meaning abundance, like literal abundance is success to me. I want to be able to, I want to be able to give without regard, meaning 
I think you're very successful if you can give without regard. If you, if right now you have a thousand dollars to your name and you can give it easily without regard, you're already successful, brother. You're already successful. So giving without regard to me is success. You win, man. Amazing, amazing, Brad. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this. You know, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you saying yes. That means a lot to me. And uh, next time you're in Miami, uh, would love to uh, take you out for lunch and dinner, lunch or dinner. <laughs> I appreciate that, my friend. And I appreciate you, you know, having the interest in, in having me. Hope, hope, hope I provide value. I, I said, I hope I provide value. Thanks for having me. By the way, Absolutely. dude, Riverside, Riverside isn't the only option for, for podcasting online, you know. Yeah, I think it's my internet connection. I actually have somebody coming and wiring my whole house. You think Rivers? You think there's a? Is there a better system? I got nothing against Riverside. I use Zoom if I'm doing it virtually, but I can promise you this: I've never once been on Riverside, and a lot of people use it when they want to interview me, without what's happened happening. Right. I've never right. had a seamless experience on Riverside, versus I've never had a problem with Zoom. I think you're right because you know what it is? We are recording, like I have two cameras on me and I have a whole light system and I'm sure you do too. I think with Zoom, with Riverside, like we're going to use this footage unless, you know, you're being recorded with other cameras besides the, the camera in your computer. And I don't know if you are. I mean, if you are, my team will probably reach out and ask you for the footage. But that's, I'll, what, I'll that's give, what I... I'll give you yeah, the footage. Um, brother, nine, uh, listen, I got a camera guy that follows me 24-7 except two places. The bedroom and the bathroom, because I don't want to trend number one on Pornhub. <laughs> Other than that, you call me on Sunday, freaking two o'clock, dude, bet I'm being recorded. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, that, that's good to know. My guys are going to reach out and they're going to ask you. Brad, thanks again, man. I, you know, I really appreciate you. Like I said, come to Miami. Uh, well, happy to take you out and, uh, and pick your brain some more, man. Likewise, man. Nice to meet you guys. See you. Take cool. it easy.